We have two scripture readings this morning. First of all, Ruth chapter 2, and then we'll turn to the New Testament. Um, Ruth 2 and then 1 Corinthians 7. Hear the word of God in Ruth chapter 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Just a, a point about his... He was a man of great wealth. It says there in the original language, a man of noble character, or a noble man. And if you remember Proverbs 31, you remember there's a woman of noble character. And uh, that word noble could refer to many things, godliness, wealth, influence, and power. But here is someone of renown, uh, someone who's of high standing So, for various reasons. Let's read this again. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she had said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my, uh, by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said, It has been fully reported to me all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me. And have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here, and eat of the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied, and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Also, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. 
So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? Where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Turn with me to the passage in Corinthians. As we turn there, usually you'd think, what does that have to do with what we read in Ruth? Hopefully it'll become clear. Uh, it has to do with the wings of God, but uh, 1 Corinthians 7 Verses 12, this is under a major section about marriage, the Apostle Paul writing about marriage and divorce. And 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12, I'm going to read up to verse 16. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. For God, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? That's our reading there. After the sermon, I, I don't think we have it right on the board, but I just want to uh, say that you have the song for singing after the sermon will be in the provisional um, Take My Life and Let It Be, page 85. Congregation, loved by Jesus Christ our Lord. This last Tuesday, we had a guest sleeping at the door of the church. I think most in the catechism classes heard about that. With all that rain, all the cold weather, he came to seek shelter under the wing of this building. I don't know what has happened since. He came across a few of us. And uh, headed south, apparently, I, probably for warmer weather. He came to find shelter under the wing. Very practical. Have you come under the shelter of God's wings? That's the message we're hearing today. Have you come under the shelter of God's wings? 
because there is not just dryness and warmth, but safety, comfort, protection. And I want you to see Ruth this morning doing what we should be doing, coming under the wings of God, coming near God. And I also want you to see, and it will get later in the sermon, I want you to see Boaz, who is the wings of God. He's a picture of Christ Jesus being the wings of God. First off, there's this name that we get dropped in verse 1, out of the blue. If you've never heard this story before, there's a name. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And then you know, okay, worthy means noble, probably rich, probably um, influential, powerful, godly, all of that wrapped in there. And you know his name is Boaz, and if you had some sort of a footnote on that, you would know his name means strength, just in case you didn't get it yet. That's who he is. And he happens to be related to Naomi. If you're seeking protection, um, here's somebody you want to go under his wings. That's the hint of, first, of, of verse 1. And then... And then you hear about Ruth, like common sense Ruth, who's a new immigrant from the country of Israel. Verse 2 says, Ruth the Moabites, she goes to her mother-in-law Naomi. Her mother-in-law, we last heard, was grumpy and bitter and all sort of, uh, yeah, she's kind of cranky. And she says to her, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I find favor. And you don't know who that is yet. Okay, there was a name drop. You don't know who Boaz is, but you know Ruth is going to go out among the fields and hoping to come across somebody in whose uh, eyes she will find favor. And you know about gleaning, I, I believe. One of the offering or collections we had this summer was for the Ontario uh, Christian Gleaners. Anyway, you, you know something about gleaning is taking up the leftovers, right? Um, to go after the harvester or nowadays would be after the, after the combine and pick up whatever leftovers you find left. And, and you would go to the corners of the field where the combine couldn't quite reach in as far and you'd be getting that. Gleaning is what the poor would do. They would go and find what's left on the field, the wheat or the corn or the barley, Free for the picking. Go ahead, have it. And that was God's welfare system. Not, not very many societies ever practiced that. Leviticus 19, God's word to his people. Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10. Here's how to provide for the poor, the widow, the homeless. God says to the farmers, you shall not pick up every piece that you've planted. You shall not pick up the full harvest. Leave some. Leave it for others to glean. And so Naomi says to Ruth, go, my daughter. And, and verse 3, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And in case you missed it, who is of the clan of Elimelech. She happened to. Other ways to translate this. By chance. It turned out just happened upon. And, and I know, especially in church, you'll hear that there's no such thing as chance. 
the children know God is absolutely sovereignly in control of all the details of life. There's no such thing as a fluke. But I want you to step in the shoes of somebody who doesn't know how the day is going to turn out. You can describe it from this human perspective, by chance, or she happened upon. She didn't know she was going to meet Boaz or who he was that day. So here's Ruth. Remember what she said in verse 2? Let me go into the field and glean after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she happens to come across this field, and what she's looking for besides food and the leftovers that she can pick, she wants to find favor in someone's eyes. She happens to come across grace that day. Grace is the unexpected favor. Somebody so vulnerable as this young widow. She's not only hoping for food, but she's hoping to meet someone nice. Meet nice people. Favor. And she's looking for grace. I just want to be welcomed. I just want to be safe in my work. Last thing she wants is to meet some nasty, grouchy old farmer. Some greedy farmer that chases her off the field, insulting and hurting her. She says, let me find favor. I wonder if we start the day like this. I really urge you, the opening prayer in the morning. As you're you know, still groggy and you get out of bed, your feet barely hit the ground beside your bed and you say, Lord, may I find favor in the eyes of the people I meet. May I find favor in your eyes, Lord. I'd like to find favor in the eyes of my boss, my coworkers, my clients. I'd like a good atmosphere. I'd like everything to go well. Right? That's, maybe you just fold your hands and say, Lord, bless this day. That's a simple way of doing it. But this is Ruth, how she said it. May I find favor in the eyes of whosoever field I come across. And things are going well. She happened across that field of Boaz, that strong, that noble, wealthy, godly man who happens to be a relative. And here's verse 4. Ruth, you hear about Boaz in verse 4. He comes to the field and you hear him come to the field. And he says to those who are harvesting, he says to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And, and there's this answer from these workers that comes back, the Lord bless you. This is giving you the atmosphere. Right? You're listening in. What's it like to work to, for Boaz? It sounds worshipful. He's not hiding his faith in God. He doesn't reserve his faith or the language for the Lord's day only. But this is embedded in his culture. It's in his noble character. And the workers appreciate him. This is the kind of place you'd love to work, even if it's miserable weather and it's scorching heat. The atmosphere. I, I want you to notice that. That's, that's significant here. And what follows next is Boaz, he's asking about this foreigner that he sees in his field. Ruth. Who's she? Oh, a Moabitess. And he's getting the whole story there. The story is summarized, right? She asked for permission this morning. She's working hard. She's uh, with Naomi. Um, she has, she's had a rest now and then, but she's a hard worker. And you hear in verse 12, this is the punchline I really want to focus on. Boaz says in verse 12 to Ruth, The Lord repay your work 
and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Ruth has come under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. How? Well, she moved from Moab to Israel. That helps. How? Kind of by accident, really. She just happened across that particular field. And also in the big picture, how did she come from Moab to Israel? She was clinging to Naomi. Right? Remember, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. Your land will be my land. She's come under God's wings by clinging to Ruth. And now she's happening to come near Boaz. She's under the wings of God. I want to give you some background here because Boaz speaks of the wings of God. And maybe you immediately think of a bird. Rightly so. You think of birds, they have wings. Maybe a hen. You think of a hen gathering her brood of chicks under her. Like Jesus would mention in, in um, Luke chapter 13, verse 34, about Jerusalem. I'd love to gather I, my, my brood under me. But you have to slow that down. Because when Boaz says this to Ruth... You've come under the wings of God for refuge. I'm not sure she's hearing what you are hearing. What does Ruth hear? God doesn't have wings. God's not a bird. He's not an angel. He has no literal flappy things. And Boaz is, is talking about wings. Up till now in the Bible, you've, you should know that wings means more than the flapping things. Think of gleaning, Leviticus 19, verse 9. If you had turned it to uh, open your Bible to that in the original language, you would have heard about wings. It says, do not glean to the wings of your field. Wings of the field? Because when does a field have wings? You go through your Bible and you go through this. You'll find the wings of the morning and you're like, oh, oh he means dawn. Okay. Or the four wings of the earth. Four corners, maybe? Four re the far-reaching edges of the earth? Or the wings of your clothes, the hem. The wings of the wind, the gust and the turbulence. This is, this is important. The background, the word Boaz is using for, is the word you would use for the fringe. For the reached out, the stretched out part. The gray area, the borderline. Imagine God were like a bird or an angel with wings. Imagine the wings stretched out. Instead of imagine his wings tucked in, imagine the wings stretched out. Because you've come under the boundary layer of God. I'll give you a technical wording for this. The convergence zone is the wing. Technical words, if I look up some theology language, it would be like this. Far from God, even unbelievers receive common grace. You might not be comfortable with that word, but there's sunshine and rain, and God's providence 
of goodness, that there's food and drink for even unbelievers living in Moab. There is the common grace. But as you come near to God, there is special grace in Jesus Christ. And somewhere between the common, what unbelievers don't even have, what, what they even receive by God's kindness, as you come near, you come under the wing of God toward His special grace. You used to be in Moab. Ruth used to be far from God, but now you've gotten a lot closer. And already now you've come under the hints of God's special grace. His warmth, His fullness, His protection, His righteousness, His peace, the presence of God. This is, this is important. Think about this. The wings of God that you can get closer to God or go further from God. It's not all or nothing. It's not black and white. And you'll find this elsewhere in the Bible. There are whole chapters of theology about the wings of God's holiness, where His holiness goes so far. What about there where it's reaching unholiness? Okay, I'll give you an example. A great study would be Haggai chapter 2, verse 12. It speaks of a priest carrying food in the wing of his garment. Okay, he's carrying some holy food in the hem of his garment, in the wing. And the question is, if you're reading Haggai chapter 2, is holiness going to dominate on the edge, on the outermost edge? Is holiness going to win? And the answer was, no, no, I think the unholiness is going to win. I think it's dark over there. I think it's unclean. In that gray area where holiness meets unholiness, at that stretched out wing, the extremity, which is winning, good or bad, black or white, life or death. And go to the point of Ruth. And Boaz says, you know, Ruth, you've come. You've just barely entered God's zone. This convergence zone. And, and God, may He reward you. May God bless you. This is His land. This is His people. This is where His favor is found. Ruth, you've come under God's wings. And you must do this. You, you must come under God's wings. Every one of you. Because He's the one who provides you with food. He's the one who provides you with shelter. He's the one who protects you from those wicked men who want to take advantage of you. He's the one who rewards you for diligently seeking Him. Hebrews 11, verse 6, God rewards everyone who diligently seeks Him. You might think, you have to be good enough to come under the grace of God. Maybe you have to be the right kind of person and do the right things and, and pray the right kind of way. You might think that you have to be close to God to come to God. Maybe you have to be worthy of God's grace to receive His grace. You think about that. That's nonsense. In Christ Jesus, you find forgiveness, and it's absolutely undeserved. Do you remember these wings of God? They stretch out. God reaches out, and he's saying to Ruth, and he's saying to you, you can just barely be under me. What little you know about me, 
what little you've experienced of my, my love, my tenderness, just under my wings, and you should already notice this amazing difference. Calm down. I've got you. Take it easy. I love you. I'm not sure how much Ruth learned from her Israelite family. Her husband, Malon, her father-in-law, Elimelech, or from Naomi, her mother-in-law. No clue. But there's chapters of this doctrine in the Bible. The doctrine of God's wings. I'm sure there's a course, Wingology 101, you could study in the Bible. And you would start somewhere near the tabernacle. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be too long. You'd think of Genesis, and you have paradise. After the fall, you hear about these angels guarding. And uh, there's the presence of God, and then there's away from the presence of God. But as you go through the scriptures, you're going to go from one chapter to the next. You're going to come across the tabernacle, God's portable temple, Exodus, uh, Leviticus. They're going to spell that out for you. In the days of Ruth, that tabernacle is still around, probably parked somewhere by Shiloh. Maybe she's seen it. I have no idea. But there's courtyards. Those are wings. The courtyards of God's tabernacle. Because you can get closer. And if you're a Gentile, you can get this close. Barely anywhere. But if you're an Israelite, you can get closer. If you're a priest and a certain kind of priest, you can get closer and closer. Until you get through all these layers and levels and gradations of holiness to the most holy place. The Day of Atonement. Once a year, the blood of a lamb sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant, under the wings of the cherubim. Only the priest would come under those wings, right into God's most awesome, glorious presence, symbolized on earth itself. And so you get this picture doctrine, I hope you know, that God is the Holy of Holies. His most glorious presence concentrated there in the most holy place, where your sins are washed by His blood, your offerings and sacrifices and prayers, they all go perfectly up to God because of Jesus Christ. Now you think about this. You're like Ruth, and you barely know Jesus Christ. What little do you know if you were like Ruth is you're finding you just barely know that God is awesome. He has wings. And you notice this. As you read the scriptures, you notice that you can get closer to God. And just encountering the fringe of God is awesome. Miracles, people reaching out to touch the hem, which is the wing of Jesus' garment. What happens? You've come under the wings of God. This is where you find safety and rest and healing. This is peace and love. You, you keep reading, it's not only in the miracles of Jesus, but you'll hear the Apostle Paul, and uh, wasn't it Acts 5, verse 15? If his shadow passed by somebody lying on the ground, you caught that? There's a wing going on, and the person's healed. Or, or Acts 9, verse 12, 
If there's a handkerchief from the apostle Paul or Peter, I forget, he comes with the handkerchief or somebody comes with an apron from the apostle and demons leave. You have all of this imagery for you that that there's the, the reaches of God, the wings of God touching the furthest most fringe and people are ready under his blessing. And so I wanted to add this illustration of 1 Corinthians 7 just to show that this is everywhere in the New Testament. What you've learned in the Old is that you can approach God, come near, already be under so much blessing. 1 Corinthians 7 is about marriage and divorce and about children. You're like, what? What's that have to do with this? And it's about the argument. It's, it's about sanctification. And you know that means to be made holy, right? To be made clean and pure. And it's not unclean, but clean. And there are spheres, there are concentric circles around the Lord Jesus Christ. Waves of increasing holiness, and it's not just in the tabernacle, but there's this family of believers that's speaking about in 1 Corinthians 7. It's supposed to have this atmosphere of blessing and worship like the Lord bless you in the morning. And so, this family of believers are supposed to have this worship atmosphere. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. There's the background debate. Remember I mentioned Haggai 2, the holy food tucked into the wings of the clothes of the priest. When the holy touches the unholy, what happens? Which one's going to win out? Is the unholiness contagious or is the holiness going to spread? Holiness, it has wings. God has wings. And the teaching of 1 Corinthians 7 is about the household. If you have two believers, no, it starts out probably in the day. Two unbelievers who've been married all their life. Okay? They're, they've been unmarried. Uh, they've been unbelievers married for a while. Apostle Paul comes along, preaches, and one of the unbelievers turns to God in faith. And the question then is, in that relationship, what should happen? You have a believer, holy, unbeliever, unholy. Should there be a divorce? And the answer is, please no. Please no. If the unbeliever is willing to tolerate this, if the unbeliever is willing to stay, she or he is in an awesome place under God's wings in that, rela in that relationship. You don't know if you will save the unbeliever, it says, but this is such a powerful influence of God. This is his holy home. Daily blessing God, singing and praying, even just the music you choose. It's God's environment, just like Boaz's work environment. The Lord bless you, my dear. Your home could be like that. The wings of God himself there. And all this is to say, the wings of God are meant to draw you in give you a taste of that special favor of God, undeserved grace, joy there, and forgiveness, kindness, mercy. 
brothers and sisters, we read that 1 Corinthians 7 passage, and you know, if you're in an awkward environment and it's uncomfortable, you, you could find yourself wanting to leave for the sake of peace. Maybe a child, you're a child in the household of your parents, and you're like, this is really hard to live. All I do is, uh, yeah, it's just not pleasant. And you could choose to leave like an unbeliever would. But hear the word of God. Please don't. Please don't go out from under the wings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please don't leave this atmosphere where, where holiness is your influence. It's, it's your nourishment. Turn back and seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. That's Isaiah 55. Look at Ruth. She's coming under the wings of the Lord. That's what we're reading this morning. You have come under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. And I hope you see how this might apply to you. That you would also come under the wings of God, but that you would be the wings of God. You are the wings of the Lord. If you're going to add a second point this late in the sermon, you would do that. You are the wings of the Lord. As God's children, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are the outer edge. You are the furthest, most extremity of the Lord. You are His hem. You are His edges. You're the shadow that passes others, that could bring healing. You are the handkerchief or the apron that could cast out demons. And even though it's not the main point of Ruth chapter 2, I really want to draw your attention to this. Boaz said to Ruth, you've come under the wings of God. And Ruth isn't like, what? Am I in the tabernacle or something? No. She's come to Boaz. Boaz says, yeah, this is where the wings of God reach. You've come to my field. Stay around here. This is where you'll find protection. Verse 9, I commanded my young men, those servants in the field, to not touch you. Protection from all those who want to take advantage of you. Here's safety. That's a pretty important thing. And how about this? Besides safety that we need, how about generosity? You really get the sense of the wings of God and generosity there. Boaz says to Ruth, oh yeah, you can have the water. You can have the drink anytime you want. The young men are hauling the water for the workers, for the paid workers. They get, and, and by the way, that's a hot, dry country. Hauling water is quite a, uh, quite a job. So for the price of water, for bottled water, while you're harvesting, you have to imagine, is pretty steep. And then, then there's this mealtime. So besides free water, have water anytime you want, there's Boaz at the mealtime, and he is again being the wings of God. You want to know about God's hospitality? You want to know about the Lord's generosity? Let me show you. And there's verses 14 and 15. He's sharing bread. He's dipping the bread into the vinegar sauce. He's getting her completely filled 
with the parched grain. When was the last time you think Ruth had a full stomach? And she's not just full, but she takes some home. She's got that doggy bag she's going to take home with her. When was the last time she had extra? And that's just the mealtime. Now, how about this? Verse 15. Think about generosity in verse 15. He commands the young men to allow her to glean even among the sheaves. So the grain and the barley that's been stood up in these little stooks, she's allowed to get right into that. And verse 16, just in case you've missed it, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, don't rebuke her. This is overflowing generosity. As if Boaz is saying, why don't you just drop a few sacks of barley right in front of her? Like, let her have it. Make it easy for her. Because this is what it means to come under God's wings. Boaz is exposing her to the grace of God. Even before he ever speaks about Jesus Christ and his hope in a Messiah that God is sending, he is showing her favor. Brothers and sisters, you are the wings of Jesus Christ. You're the body of Christ. You're the extension of Him. He is the head in heaven. You are His hands and His feet. You're the furthest most reach of God. You're the light of the world. And in this world, there's so many taskmasters that are harsh. Right? Maybe you know some. No grace and no love and no welcome. They have no time for you. You see how this was working? Boaz shows us Jesus Christ himself. The wings of God. The grace of God. God's wings over Ruth. And now, even better. Ruth goes home. And the wings of God extend over Naomi. only have a few minutes left, but this, this really touches me. This bitter Naomi. Mara. She's pointing her finger against God. And now she comes under the wings of God. She's flabbergasted. She's overwhelmed and overjoyed. Look, there's Ruth and there's the leftovers from the one meal that she had. Then there's the ephah of barley that's totally harvested and processed. Naomi is thrilled. Blessed is the one who took notice of you. Something had to have happened. Somebody must have noticed you. Tell me about it. Blessed be Boaz. Blessed be the Lord. And, and you would say, because you know Jesus Christ, you say, blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ who's taken notice of us. Verse 20, the Lord has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. That's what Naomi admits. The Lord has not forsaken his kindness, his steadfast love to the living and to the dead. Does she even hear herself when she says that? The wings of God, the kindness of God reaches over the living and the dead. I wonder what that would mean. God's grace reaching the dead. over-the-top generosity, favor, protection. And this has only been the wings of God, the tips, the fringes, the edge. 
So brothers and sisters, you are the edge of God. You don't have to be perfect. To show the love, the kindness, the goodness of God, the undeserved favor, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be God Himself. But you know Christ Jesus. You know what it's like to be under the wings, close to the breast of God, where His heart beats. You're in the Word of God, the Spirit of God. Go, be the wings of God. There are so many people around you. They need to be under the wings of God. You are God's messengers of grace. To your own family, you you, you can think of people brought into your family that need grace. And neighbors, neighbors camped in your life, camped under the wing of the church building, workers, many of you know at your job site, you have workers in your life, show them grace. You are God's wings in Christ Jesus, amen.